how would you like to join us in creating great conversations that inspire and connect? Patreon is a membership platform that provides a way for creators like us to build relationships and provide exclusive experiences to subscribers or patrons. We have been self-financed since we got off the ground in June of 2016, but in order to continue to fully invest all we can in each episode, we need your patronage. For more information, please go to patreon.com forward slash above the basement. Hello, everybody. It's Chuck from Above the Basement, Boston Music and Conversation. Having the title of Director of Good Vibes would be a daunting title for any normally pessimistic human being. But James McDonald is an optimist. Formerly with the Life is Good Festival, James started Festival at the Farm in Canton, Massachusetts, which will take place in September and features Amos Lee, Dawes, and former ATB guests Martin Sexton, Ali McGurk, and Jesse D, as well as one of our upcoming guests, Will Daly, among many others. The music in this episode is from some of these artists. James has worked in all areas of music, including artist management, but now devotes all his time to this amazing festival. But the weekend is much more than just music. It is a celebration that offers locally sourced and inspired food vendors, a farmer's market, nonprofits, backyard games, a craft vendor marketplace, and even includes music for the kids. We also discovered that James is a wonderful guy. So here is our conversation with James McDonald, recorded at Woods Hill Table in Concord, Massachusetts. Before we get into our conversation, yeah. I want to continue our conversation about, we're talking about Frightened Rabbit outside. Mm-hmm. It's a terrible story yeah. about, I think his name's Scott... I think his name. I don't want to. I don't want to get his name wrong. But uh, he's he's from Scotland, and he died just recently. And there's a lot of like outpouring of support yeah. and everything. And so I'm like, well, what is this frightened rabbit? And and you said they were just in Boston Calling two years ago. I'm listening to them all the time now. Check it out. It's, see if uh, you can find Scott it. Hutchinson. Scott Hutchinson. Scott Hutchinson. Yeah, we're kind of surrounded right now with depression and suicide. Sure. I mean, with Anthony, Anthony Bourdain, Bourdain and, and and Kate Spade, and it's like it's, right. it's, it's, it's more of an epidemic, or we're just hearing about it more. Yeah. Well, when two people within a, a few days, and these are people that were at the height of their yeah. career and fame, and you just don't know what's going on in people's lives. Right. It's crazy. The Bourdain thing just reminded me, like, to try to be more kind, even in, like, when someone, like, cuts me off in traffic, and I'll be like, yeah, you know, like, I just, every single person on this earth is in the fight of their life. Yeah. You're no different than anybody else in terms of that. And uh, to hear these tragedies and these people who went through the things that nobody would have expected, it inspires me to just try to be more kind. I don't mean to be all dark here when we start this conversation, but... The lyrics of all the songs, at least its most popular songs, they're songs about death and suicide. I mean, it's about swimming away from shore and away yeah. from the land. It's like, you hear I mean, it's it all, now. it's in there. He was and crying he, out for years. He was crying out and like, yeah. it wasn't like he was silent about it. He was, it was an issue that everyone knew about. And Anthony's friends and family may have known what was going on, but no, none of us or none of the people that adored him yeah. and his fans. Yeah. He seemed to suck the marrow out of life. And also out of many a bone and many a restaurants <laughs> yeah, around the true. earth. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Really? He, someone said recently that he, he was the one that made people not afraid of other people. Yeah. Yeah, you could do it through yeah, food, through music, really through whatever. Like he made a cultural barrier non-existent. I think even to that point, his show and his message was just how to live life. We break down walls. We break bread. We talk to people. We, get, we look each other in the eye. And he showed people how to live life through the show, I think that's what makes his death so much more shocking in that fashion because he took his own life, but 
Anthony Bourdain was pretty skilled at living a good life, right. at least from out from all of our appearances in terms of his travels. And, and all the things I keep on hearing about him is that he kept on saying, you know, it's not about the food. The yeah, food is not about the, the food. food is what brings right. people together, but it's about the experience of talking to 100%. and meeting and, and the culture, the culture, the and country, man, that's right. he's like the food is just one part of the whole. Well, it's a glue. I think it, it sort of it was a thread, and it brought people together. Right. Cheers yeah. to uh, Anthony yeah. Bourdain. Anthony Bourdain. Um, I think that it's not such a leap to have, we're really happy to have James McDonald here, <laughs> to talk about living life and to change it to a positive. Yeah. I would be remiss as to not mention life is good. Yeah. And the fact that you cut your teeth on that, but really the, the you, concept of gotta, life is good. Yeah. You're the director of Good Vibes, for God's sakes. The best title ever. That is the greatest uh, title and ever. And a super hard one to live up to because if you, <laughs> if any point in my can't be time that ever. life is good, I was like in a real bitchy mood or something <laughs> bullshit. And my wife would be like, whatever, director of Good Vibes. It <laughs> totally took me down a couple notches. <laughs> that was a life-changing experience for me to go work for Life is Good because uh, it was like Willy Wonka time. It was like, hey, what's your wildest dream? In terms of like, what life, Bert and John, who are the founders of Life is Good. And they said to me, we want to do a great festival. We think you're the right person to do it. So they gave me an ultimate opportunity to, to really have some fun. I had been working in and around the Boston music industry, okay. started at WBCN, went to Virgin Records. I did that for eight years in, around New England as the regional marketing representative. But uh, it was the decline of the, the CDs gone away, the downloading. It was, you know, uh, getting into the late 90s. And every year I was at Virgin Records, we made less money than the year before. So I wanted to work for someplace that felt vibrant and, you know, wasn't tied to the doom and gloom of this part of the music industry. And these Life is Good guys had been doing these festivals that had an amazing, all of these components that made an amazing festival. But the music was never, in my opinion at the time, you know, it was never quite right. It didn't live up to what the ideals that Life is Good could have been. So I wrote a letter to Life is Good. I was like, I'm in the music business. I think your brand is powerful. I think your message is on point with what the world needs. If you ever need somebody to help you with music, I will be the guy. I'd love to be the guy. It was the most magical thing to like meet these guys. And they were just like, yes, we hear you. We'll pay you a salary and come to work for us and make this thing happen. So I ended up running a music festival. I'd never done that before. <laughs> <laughs> First festival I ever ran was the Life is Good Festival. That's pretty freaking daunting. It didn't feel like it because no? Bert and John Jacobs are the world's most forefront optimists. <laughs> Nothing is daunting around there. It's like... It's really, they walk the walk and talk the talk. What was the first step? They were doing... They gave uh, you the go-ahead. Yeah, they gave me the go-ahead, and they had a permit for Boston Common for that summer. Certain things are in place for the summer, but the music isn't, and then just the overall management of the event. So the first festival I ever ran in my life was on Boston Common, and the Life is Good Festival. We booked Brett Denon and the mm. Blind Boys of Alabama. thought mm. that was a great, like, one-two. We sort of set these ideas in motion that there'd be an athletic games portion, arts portion, an optimism message, great music. And while we were doing that, we just, it wasn't myself, but I think it was John Jacobs somehow crossed paths with one of the founders of Superfly, Rich Goodstone. And he is an optimist. And he, he was like, oh my goodness, life is good, powerful brand. You guys are a great company. And he goes, oh, well, we do we do festivals and we're looking to expand. And these guys were a couple of years into Bonnaroo. Maybe they just launched Outside Lands. They were kind of hungry for new things. So a partnership was formed to take this life is good idea, really turn it into something. So I'm trying to make the long story short, no, but right. I, I grew up in Braintree and I knew about this 
amazing farm at the base of Blue Hills. And I knew that it was like an amazing location. Mm. When it was time to make the Life is Good Festival into something different, again, I made a phone call and just kind of said, hey, I, we want to do this event on your property. And they had never done a music festival. And thankfully, oh. everybody said yes. And we ended up with a Life is Good Festival in Canton with the Superfly Presents minds behind it. And That's pretty were, bold, though, moving it from Boston Common to Canton. Yeah. Did you have to convince people or was it? We had certain things we wanted to do with the festival, which was raise a million dollars. And it's tough to do with a free event on Boston Common. If you say, hey, we're doing a free show on Boston Common, yeah. there's a zillion families out there whose antennas get pinged because they're just going to go in and they have a great free day. But, you know, you're not going to raise a million dollars that way. So we uh, knew we had to go to a model where people were putting money into the thing. Like skin in the game is was what we talked about. Mm. You were building on a concept. Life is Good was going to grow. The festival was going to grow with people being a part of that community. Yeah. So they bought a ticket and they knew that part of that money would go towards... 100% of the event's profits went to the Life is Good Kids Foundation. And then within that was a sort of... we. You know, we talked about the greatest festivals. We talked about the greatest fundraisers. And we thought the greatest festival was Bonnaroo. We happened to hook up with the guys that run Bonnaroo. So that was like, check. And then we thought, well, the greatest fundraiser is the Pan Mash Challenge. It's just, it's an unbelievable feat of generosity and camaraderie. And those are the things we wanted to bring to life through the festival. So we built in a fundraising mechanism that was the, instead of VIP, it was VGP, very good person. (laughs) And you couldn't buy a ticket, but you had to raise raise $500 for the charity in order to get the VIP ticket. But if you raise 1500 or 2000 or whatever, you can meet Sarah Bareilles. And we'd reach out to the artist and would say, hey, Jack Johnson, we want to do a meet and greet. The only way you can get into this meet and greet is if you raise money for charity, 2500 bucks. They're in. Everybody was in. Yeah. So we were able to build in these great incentives and create instead of nobody's important. We don't care if you're important at Life is Good. That was our thinking. <laughs> we, we're interested in whether you're good. I love so. the story. This is a freaking yeah. great story. What was the charity? The Life is Good Kids Kids Foundation. It's a nonprofit that is connected to the Life is Good for-profit company. They have a program called the Playmakers. They reach out to after-school programs, child life specialists, people that work with kids who are at risk or ill. And they provide basically programs built around this idea of optimism and play and fun and how much that can change Mm -hmm. the life of a kid who's worried about cancer or death or maybe getting shot, whose parents or whose family life is risky. So life is good. Uh, you know, the nonprofit side have done a lot of done a lot of studies and have become experts in the field that like at risk or sick children who receive a dose of play and optimism in their life, their lives are changed for the better. So they train teachers, child life specialists, social workers, how to use optimism as a tool. Couldn't have been better. It was go. It's a win win. It was, it was My like gosh. James McDonald go create a music festival with not an unlimited budget, but a big enough budget to go get Dave Matthews. And uh, hey, we're going to raise a million bucks for kids. Uh, are you in? <laughs> yeah. And it was like, I'd never run a music festival before. I'd never done any of this stuff. And I was like, yep, I am in. And they gave me the safety net to do those crazy things. But it taught me a whole hell of a lot about how to run a festival and hopefully create a good business. What other festivals were going on at that time? Do you remember? Locally or nationally? Locally. Not a whole lot. No. In fact, there was an article in the Boston Globe that said, Life is Good puts rock festivals on the map for Boston. I wanted you.
outside the dead fish panic obviously uh Lollapalooza like these were the classic festivals in the 90s mm-hmm. and 2000s that I think were built on a bill of some yeah. artists but it wasn't a concept sure and I think that's the difference add one final bit to the story that I hadn't talked about yeah I grew up loving fish not just fish but the lifestyle around it of the festival and it was a super inspiring thing in the 90s to be in your 20s and go to a fish festival it was a world of grunge and getting kicked in the face in the mosh pit and I did that for a few years teen spirit all you know nirvana and grunge and and around like 1994 i was like i'm not disaffected i can't relate to the issues of the day related to grunge rock anymore you know and then whatever was coming after kurt cobain or you know that sort of stuff was bush and i wasn't interested in any of that stuff so like i discovered there was a band out there called fish that was like they play happy music and you can go to a show and not get kicked in the face so i was like this is a a fun band this is much more fun than moshing i'm not interested in that anymore it's a great tagline so exactly you end up at a fish festival and you see all this amazing art fish festivals they had a great amount of respect for their fan base due to the way that fish became popular so their festivals cut no corners on great food and uh, convenience and accommodations nobody was doing these kinds of festivals out there and, and they in the campground they had a giant tent that was like a convenience store they had water in there and ice in there and batteries in there and all the stuff you'd need if you were camping at a music festival and they did this in 1990 1995 oh, sure. yeah. when they hired me life is good they said well it's the f- if you're now running a music festival who, who should we speak to and I said there's a guy guy who lives in Vermont. He's worked for Fish for years. His name's Russ Bennett. Mm-hmm. And Russ Bennett was the creative mind around Fish's visual design and bringing concepts to life outside of the band doing what they do. And Russ became a great mentor to me. And also, coincidentally, he was the guy that Bonnaroo, the Superfly guys hired when they created Bonnaroo because they created Bonnaroo the year that Fish took a hiatus. So all the people that ran the Fish Festival had a, an empty month of August. So the Bonnaroo guys said, we're going to take advantage of Fish taking a break and they hired the entire team that ran all the fish festivals to go do Bonnaroo so by the time I met Russ he had been he had nine or ten Bonnaroo's under his belt he'd done every single fish festival so he became a great friend and mentor to me over the years but couldn't have done any of this without Russ Bennett where the hell are these all these optimists I need to have surround myself with more optimists I got you Ron you're kind of an optimist I'll, I'll put I you am. on an I am. optimistic guy you but know, I Chuck need, went to I his more. first uh, dead show the other day dead and company I did I that's, did that's great show. yeah it was great yeah. And it's a whole city surrounding it of That's food and merchandise. And right. well, yeah, I, mean, I mean, it was dead in company, well, but still, it was the same so, vibe as it's always been. So that, that great There was vibe, nothing surprising though. about it, but it was fantastic, though. I, I loved it. No, but you did not realize when you were walking through those that parking lot. You were I like, did not realize there would be like... What the heck is this in yeah. a good no, way? No, I wasn't as surprised as you may think. I, I mean, there were more vendors than I thought. Not that it was a surprise, but it was definitely eye-opening that... All the deadheads who were just there for the show had their own tents, yeah, and they were just tr- selling their wares. Yeah. And they're Normally, all some people stuff. never went into yeah. the show. Artists, right. yeah, maybe not. I don't, I don't no, know. No, they go into the parking lot. So that was yeah. right. the parking lot scene was something new to me. Not a surprise, but certainly new to me. Sure. 
And um, it was a surprise. <laughs> he was beside himself. But you know, I think all of that that stuff like kind of filled my sense of what I wanted to do with a music festival, which uh, which was far different than a Grateful Dead or a Fish Experience. Like the last thing in the world I want to think about in terms of running a music festival mm-hmm. is too many people on drugs. That's like that is not part of what <laughs> yeah, I well, am interested in doing in my career. Of course. But what is great about those experiences? You know, they they tend. Well, what to do you a, take from them? Yeah, the, a great community of people. You're not going to really see too many fist fights in that in that no. thing. You're not going to see people arguing. You see people. People like getting along and sharing and they're like some of these uh, highly idealized concepts around this deadhead culture this fish culture they work pretty well when you put a family of four in it and you send them to you know festival at the farm or life is good festival at the time uh, you know yeah. all that stuff kind of fueled that deadhead culture the spirit around community that you get with that music i cop to it i love it i have no shame at all to say i'm a, I'm a true deadhead and a fish head and i love that culture I'm, well, but yeah. i'm not interested in doing that for my career Right. And obviously you're taking, and I think, you know, we're excited to hear about Festival of the Farm 2018 because this is the third year now, right? Yeah. And this is like the next iteration of what you've learned. Sure. And you talked about Russ, who was a mentor. I mean, he learned so much through the fish shows. I'm sure there was some major successes and definite failures. <laughs> I'm sure. I that. mean, there's, I, was a, I was at a lot of those. Yeah. And anyway, so he learned. You learned through Life is Good. I know we're all, we're all optimists yeah, and right. Life is Good, but there must have been some well, I don't, you know, pitfalls. I, I, I can say I probably was an optimist before I joined Life is Good because I was interested in at least writing a letter to the company. But I wasn't one of those people that had the Life is Good tire cover on the car. Like, they really have a cult of fans and i mean that in a, not as a pejorative sure but i wasn't one of those people i didn't own 10 life is good t-shirts the way some people do i saw a powerful brand i was at a record label in the 90s where it was just like profits were evaporating we were propping up a lot of like punk rocker this kind of rocker this kind of hip-hop band with a lot of marketing support and we would bring these people around to radio stations and we would do a big show at the local club with you know whatever 90 something x alternative rock upstate new york or maine or this thing or that thing but as soon as that band got stopped playing on the radio station the next time they came to town there would be no club full of people and i just felt like you know i want to work in a place where you know there's always going to be a club full of people that wasn't sort of propped up by this major marketing machine that was like you know emi virgin records and right and but that's the thing i mean it's it's a culture you don't see people with i mean i have my jeep out back i've got above the basement logo on the back of it Jeep. that's just my own thing yeah, yeah but literally. you, you it's don't the only it's but, the only one it's the only one yeah. but you don't see people i'm not i don't mean to bash virgin at all but right. you don't see people with virgin logo on the back of the gpc with life is good you see it everywhere yeah it's a lifestyle it's a way of thinking it's a way of living it's and people and it includes music so. i think there's like a certain kind of person that wants to be in these groups every rock band has their fans and you know this thing and that thing and but some are maybe sort of more organic than others you know when you look at a Radiohead or you look at a Wilco or you look at a Fisher, you know, the Dead, and there's probably there's a million other bands and genres that I don't spend all my time listening to that share that kind of organic reach. But then you can easily associate that with Jeep, you know, or with Apple or, you know, these like cult brands. They end up mattering to people in ways that go beyond the product. So I took all that from Life is Good. I took that from Fish. I took that from Life is Good. And then I wanted to create my own thing that was Life is Good was no longer doing music festivals as a marketing decision that was important for them at the time. Mm-hmm. I ran a music festival in Canton. And I knew that the people in the town loved the event and the property owners, you know, are happy with it. And, and, yeah. and Let's get so, the band back together. Yeah, I wanted to get the band back together. So The bands. 
Yeah, I, it took me a couple of years, but we were in 2016. We were able to launch an event that was, you know, kind of aimed at the same mindset, but uh, I didn't want to copycat Life is Good or do things that, you know, were their festival. So uh, at the time, I found a, a great friend in uh, John Olinto, who's the founder of Be Good, and their whole thing was Farm to Table. Be Good, that, uh, the restaurant. The restaurant, yeah. yeah. Farm to Table restaurant, great food. Not far from here. Support local farmers, you know, eat food that's healthy for know where your food comes from. These are all things that we can share and should learn about and it's an idea that should propagate. Is Be Good a Boston They're area? a Boston brand, yeah. And we are sitting in a farm-to-table restaurant sitting, right now. Right. So, yeah. you know, the idea was uh, how do I get this audience back at this location that people love and do an event that kids are welcome to and you know, these, sort of, these ideas that made a lot of sense for Life is Good, but bring food into it. Uh, make it a farmer's market. There's a farmer's market in every town in America. And in the corner of that farmer's market, there's a guy with a mandolin or a bluegrass trio or an acoustic singer-songwriter. What if we just booked Martin Sexton instead and invited 4,000 people? So it's a farmer's market music festival, and nobody else is doing it. I don't think it's probably the cat's out of the bag now. (laughs) Paint a picture here. So you got the farm. Yeah, it's a farm. It's a big, beautiful area. It's, It's an old horse farm, so it's not quite the agricultural farm that People may think of it, but it's called Press Farm, so okay. we'll take a and little license. And you got two stages, right? Two stages. We're going to do a third with some singer-songwriter stuff in the farmer's market, actually, to kind of more recreate that experience. And oh, very good. Okay, cool. Yeah. An essential element's always going to be a kid's concert. We're going to do a 90-minute right. set every day where kids can just, like, blow bubbles and wear face paint and rock out. To kids' music. The yep. Boston Kids Really Rock All-Star Jam. Yeah. Featuring Karen Kay and the Jitterbugs. Oh, well, we got to get Alistair Mook for, I, uh, yeah, have you he, booked him ever? He may or? be one of the all-stars. Oh, Sweet. Yeah, it's um, great. Kids Rally Rock was a, a festival that uh, Karen Kay of Karen Kay and the Jitterbugs put together on the Lawn on D. That festival's not happening this year, and she's a friend, so it just said, "Hey, why don't you do the Kids Really Rock brand?" at the Festival of the Farm. That's and it, fantastic. It's a no-brainer because she's the best at what she does. So. And you have a couple uh, former guests that we've had on, yeah, having Jesse D, yeah. Alan McGurk, Martin Sexton, yeah. and a future guest, uh, Will Daly. Yeah, Will's great. I love the Boston music scene and the artists in Boston. I've been so happy to invite them to the festival. It's, it's, Plus, it's I love the best pleasure of my life. You have yeah. you have a good representative of Boston artists in this, which is great. We have always tried to really showcase what's, I mean, what's it, great it, about this town. We, it, know we want local farm. Farmers, we want local artists, we yeah. want local everybody. Yeah, so I'm curious more about this farm thing. So yeah. you got it on the horse farm. You got your kids stage. You got the two stages. What's the food like? Uh, we've got a you know, sort of a vendor row, and we'll end up having six or eight different food vendors. Uh, it's all farm to table, hot food like chicken. And, as, as best as we uh, can do. There's a balance between how I can serve 4,000 people dinner and lunch, you know, and then maybe an after a couple beers slice. Yeah. And uh, how farm to table we can get it. So it's a balance. It's a balance. You know, we we got to feed people. There are certain yeah. kinds of food vendors or certain food vendors we just wouldn't necessarily want or invite. But then we've got great food vendors that, yeah. you know, Oath Craft Pizza will be there this year. And Commonwealth Cambridge is a great restaurant. Sweet. And, you know, Puritan Kitchen and. Uh, uh, you know, Puritan Company. So the farmer's market part, do you, do you actually like sell, like you get some carrots? Well, I know that nobody's going to buy like, their carrots at a music festival. I don't know. I might. Well, yeah. That's part of this. Though. It's part of it. Yeah. Well, it's more like a fruit stand probably in terms of like uh, being able to walk up and get fresh, I would fresh produce. But well, nobody's going to buy their like zucchini for the week at no. a music festival. Sure. We, we but, get that. So but they'll plan accordingly. Exactly. And then uh, there's all sorts of other great uh, I'll walk vendors around with and a pint partners. Of blueberries. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We'll have a CSA on site. You can learn about 
that's what the CSA is, and then maybe sign up for one. And sign up, because yeah. that's and like 100 a, people that they normally wouldn't have. A meat share. And then Farmer's Market allows us to also find great partners like Cabot Cheese, you know, and Stonyfield. You know, those guys are running the kinds of companies that everybody should want to be a customer of. And it's know? all local. Yeah. That's so Well, Stonyfield is New Hampshire. Yeah, Stonyfield's New Hampshire. Well, that's New England. Right. Pete and Jerry's Organic Eggs. Another company I learned of. Um, I hear I hear you have a weird kind of thing with eggs. I don't know what it is. But I love it. So does so does Ryan I had Mont eggs Blue. This Mont Blue, yeah, sure. Did but you hear Mont Blue's podcast by chance? Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was yeah. a good one. He had something yeah. about eggs. I wasn't there. Do you something about eggs? Yes. He's got a great song called Eggs. Oh, the you guys song talked called about eggs. eggs. Yeah, yeah. You even well, we posted that. We that. talked about eggs. We talked about the Ryan, song called Eggs. Uh, he's been a client of mine. I've been in the middle of all this running festivals. I've been managing Ryan Mont Blue on and off. Let's get away from food. I want to yeah. talk about Six Chair. Sure. Where we were talking about from? Ryan Mont Blue, not food. But so Ryan Mont Blue is part of. Well, we were talking about eggs. Eggs. So uh, Six Chair is just you know you quit your job and you start a company. So you got to give it a name. So and, wait, this uh, was after Life Is Good. Yeah, after Life Is Good, I actually I joined Five Two Five Worldwide, which right. is an amazing arts management company right here in Boston. Matt Cornell and uh, Dave Bartlett are these two guys who are incredible artists, managers, and uh, have along the way discovered Trombone Shorty, took Mavis Staples' career and completely gave it a 180 for the most brilliant second act at the time they were managing Ryan Montblou and at the time Emily Lichter was part of their team and was managing Lake Street Dive and Sally Ford and ages and ages. So I had worked in radio and did college radio Worked at WBCN. I worked for Virgin Records, done the record label thing. I had run a music festival with Life is Good, and all the whole time I've been dealing with artist managers, but I had never been one. So I joined those guys to give a go at being an artist manager. I worked for them for close to two years, but I was having like the night sweats, waking up in the middle of the night, like somebody else is going to go to Press Farm and do a music festival. Oh. And I'm going to be pissed about that when I'm 80 if it happens. That sounds like pessimism. No, it wasn't. It was reality because the site's amazing. And, you That's know, not you, man. No, it was not pessimism. I don't even was, know who you are anymore. Yeah. I quit my job or, you know, parted ways with 525 and, oh, start, and that, that I started a music festival. Yeah. And that's when Where does Six Chairs come from? Six Chair is the is my favorite chairlift at Breckenridge. It's a slow double and it brings you not to the highest peak, but some of the gnarliest, best terrain. It's nice. just like the sweet spot interesting that includes artist management as well as festival production production. i've stepped away from the artist management i realized this this year that i was working with cat wright i was working with ryan mop blue artists who that's how we got ryan through you i really really absolutely just love and want to be a part of their story somehow but i realized that they really need an artist manager who's like able to do the big things like one-on-one yeah and and to be fair and honest to them like i quit my job to start this music festival and i picked up artist management because i had kind of been doing that the important thing was to keep the important thing the important thing yeah and the important thing was like festival at the farm so your focus wasn't yeah i am solely focused on this event right now so the festival of the farm so september 15th and 16th 2018 it's coming up yep on september 19th yeah and the 20th what do I do? <laughs> I hope you're taking a little vacation. When does 2019 start for you, or has it already started? It started conceptually in that, you know, we know the artists we haven't been able to get and we want to get. And yeah. talent for music festivals now, forget it. People, bands are getting booked a year out. You, you need a long lead time to get the band you want. And not so, only that, it, like every band yeah. on the planet wants to be a part of a festival. Right. So, And if you're running the whole festival, it's about safety, it's about like the vendors, it's about the food, it's about 
the, logistically the, it's a nightmare do you do like a post-mortem where like you guys get together and say okay oh, yeah. listen where are the issues here yep. how does that we all do. work uh we, we definitely do that uh within the people who i bring aboard and work for me during the event then also the people who are stakeholders like the landowners and the town and the police and the fire and the building inspector and all that stuff and yeah we have great open lines of communication the thing about festival at the farm and what's actually different from what we did at life is good was that it's a four to five thousand person music festival as half the size of Newport has half the size of Levitate, yeah. one tenth of what Boston Calling is. I am not running an event that is so large that it's impossible to wrap your arms around. Mm. So when things aren't going well with Festival of the Farm, either just minute by minute on the ground or generally as an event, you know, we can see it. Part of Festival of the Farm for the consumer and the fan, and also for me as a guy starting a business, was like, I just want to keep it simple. Like, I really am not interested in ever running a, a mega festival or a mini mega festival. Like, 4,000 people to an event that I can really have an impact on is just enough for me. And for the fans, uh, you know, I think I want a 30-something or a 20-something or a 60-year octogenarian to come to this thing and feel comfortable. And that's really hard when there's forty to 80,000 people. So I, I wanted an event that was, like, comfortable for everybody, you, you know, able to get around and you can get right up and see your favorite band if you want to i want lots of elbow room the commodity of the crowd with sponsorship and all this stuff i'd just rather really have great food vendors great bands the right amount of people and not be overwhelmed by the yeah. music festival itself so and, and to answer your question is there's a big postmortem, but i'm trying to keep this thing as simple as possible what kind of beer is going to be there local there's, yep no there's three kinds of beer there is a beer that is what you would call your like American Pilsner light drinking beer. But okay. you don't have to say yes or no. No, but uh, so there's a beer like that at okay. my festival. There is a craft beer that is your everyday go-to craft beer. Harpoon. And then there is a <laughs> elevated version of a beer that is, you know, for people that really want to try something different. Or, Trillium. Yeah. So those <laughs> those aren't the brands. I'm going to say that, like, those aren't necessarily specifically the brands. Yes, they, they could are. They could be the brands. Yeah. But uh, in terms of a menu, every year at my festival, those are the three things we're going to That's make. awesome. That's a great idea. One, like, question, one follow-up question on the beer. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Have you ever had Treehouse beer? Oh, yeah. I'm it's a, incredible. Yeah. I'm a huge yeah. Night Shift fan. I'm an IPA nut. But I feel like we're in a golden age of beer, of local beer. I think we're where, in a golden hoppy age. Where you can, we are, yes. Where you can go into any establishment, <laughs> whether it be the 99 across the street here or, or a get a good beer. place here, and you can get local beer. Well, you It's yeah. fantastic. You, you don't have remember to get, that when we were young, the idea around beer, the only thing I knew about beer was that in Europe they had all kinds of beer, and in yeah. America we just had beer. In the 90s, you know, everything changed, and I think we are now in a golden age of beer. It's great. Yeah, I, I can agree, get, Chuck. I can get a Wormtown across too. the street. Even the chains yeah. will have will have a local beer, and that's great. You can walk yeah. into any place and get something that's local, which is which used to not be the case. That's true. It is a golden age. Don't laugh at me. What are you laughing at me for? <laughs> I'm very serious <laughs> about this. This is important stuff. Have you been to Burlington, Vermont? Yeah. yeah. And uh, have you ever been to the Vermont Problem Brewery? Sure. Because right. they were the first is Northeast that, yeah, that's, brewery. We went. To we went that's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 1984, I think, is when they started. Vermont's, and that was like a beef ahead of its time. Vermont's the greatest. And here's where I'll talk about Cat Wright for a quick second. The culture in Vermont, we'll, we'll use Magic Hat as an example. Yes. Yeah. Let's talk about beer. My, my nephew There's a culture in Vermont that fosters inno creative innovation. And you've seen you've seen it over and over again. Like I think I maybe I'm wrong on the population of Burlington, Vermont, but it's like fifty thousand people, smaller than Braintree or something. It's and okay, Magic Hat beer, seventh generation, fish, Ben and Cherries, Green Mountain Coffee Roasters. You know, yeah. there's a ton of creative brands that have been born out of that economy. One more, Burton, Burton Snowboards, of course, Burton Snowboards, right? 
So when you are the most popular thing in Burlington, I do believe that you are, there's a many, very many test cases that will say you will be a very popular thing globally or yeah. in the United States of America. Bernie Sanders, there's like too many things that became <laughs> right. the most popular thing in Burlington. And it is an outsized amount of cultural impact that city has mm. laid on the world. Yeah. And Cat Wright is the She's most the popular thing in Burlington. She's the next thing. And deservedly so, of course. So, you yeah. know, I wanted to invite her on the podcast and also uh, to one of our concert casts where we can talk with her and then do a live live interview and play. Yeah. So she seems awesome. She's great. Is she playing at the festival? No, she played last year and the year before. Her I'm confident Cat Wright will be back in the future, as yeah. will Ryan Mopp, who's not here this year. There's so many great artists and everybody. There's only so many stages and slots. It's kind of tough running a music festival in that way. <laughs> I, I bet. I'd book Cat Wright every year. I'd book Dwight and Nicole every year. I'd book Ryan Mopp, every year. But we got to have the suitcase junket, you know, like Jesse D's got to come back and there's only so many slots. So. Still at home doing your day to day. Well, I'm on my own and you're all alone, too many miles away. Through rivers and roads, cities and towns, countries and continents. But despite what it seems, the space in between us is insignificant. Oh, just like our feet where they touch on the ground, just like gravity. Take my word, rest assured, you'll be on my mind and in my heart, on my mind. We're about to have our 100th episode, okay? Congrats. We have the concert cast coming up. We're doing it at City Winery with Chris Trapper. We're really excited to do it. It's like a live podcast we do with a lot of audience. Yeah. So we're very excited about that. And we're going to have a 100th episode party. We were going to have it here. And we were just like so overwhelmed with just the logistics of having like 150 <laughs> people come into like a little room. Right. And we're like, oh my God, we can't handle this. We, we need to focus on this other thing. I can't even imagine what it's like to do a whole entire- Well, I thought of that yeah. actually today. It's like I, going to the moon compared to us just going like down the street <laughs> to the White Hen. But that's just the, I, I never expected it, but that's where <laughs> I find- a great my, line. That's, like, in my you. career, that's where I found myself most comfortable and confident when there's like a couple thousand people and you got to do this thing. Like I, I feel like I'm good at that. Yeah. But like, so I, like, I, so I realized that I made the conscious decision that I would rather manage like 4,000 possibly drunk people than one artist. It's easier for me it to seems do that. It's easier to that. Right. To and that. that's not, that's not a, anything to say about either of the artists. I yeah, mean, yeah. that they're hard or they're difficult. They're not. But like for me personally, you know, everybody has their thing. And it's just like I would much rather do that than. Well, it's a different kind of pressure, I think. I think it's a different type of stress. It's it's exciting. They're both exciting. Yeah. I can kind of see what you mean. People always say at the festival, my friends are having fun or my family's there and they have a beer in their hand and I'm doing this thing and I'm on a radio and they go like, I wish you could have fun. Like, I wish you could enjoy this. But like, they don't understand. They're like, this is what you've been yeah, doing. I mean, that's my World Series. Once a year, I get to go run a music festival. I am exactly. I may look like I'm running around like a crazy person working, but I am definitely having the most fun yeah. I have. Yeah, but that's the crazy thing. Like, you are working up to this one weekend a year yeah and is there is there a letdown after it's over or is it kind of like you not know, really well you're an optimistic i'm, guy, I'm so. looking ahead to next year yeah. and i'm happy to have some downtime you're so much better person than well I you meant <laughs> you meant you mentioned the world series yeah what are your playoffs in a sense or what what are, what are the games uh, leading up to this 
do you hear bands? Do you do research? Do you like what are those things that you do? You're in the festival mode, but it's not the final mm. World Series. The big part is the booking it. That's something that happens in the spring or the winter, nine months in advance or five right. months in advance. But you must need but that's to. That's like that gets into like some hand to hand combat. I, I listen to it and I, you know, I've got a you go to shows, a list, and, and I go to shows, and I, I, you know, pay attention to the. Is there kinds a consensus of, of like several people who figured this out? I just, or just you. I just <laughs> sweet. <laughs> I know. That's like, awesome. I like. No, you're like. All I about like the these Porter guys. Johns. I know all about the bands. I like. I just. It's really hard work, but like I only do one thing. I do a music festival, and therefore I'm able to focus on good food. And is focus there like on a personal that. favorite? Like so, yeah. in the past, is there yeah. one band that you just was your favorite? And you're like, I gotta have this band on that no one's heard before. And like, Lake Street Dive. I mean, there's been a lot of those bands, and it's yeah. so much fun. That's that's kind of the playoffs. Like when we're booking a band and we're a couple weeks away from announcing the festival, you know, I got an offer out to this artist, and they're mulling it over, and this guy's probably gonna say yes. But then you gotta have like something on the back burner that you've kind of been reaching out to agents and. If all of these three artists fall through, you're still announcing on May 3rd. Like Great you, you got to have a so yeah. it's like you're cooking. It's mm. like cooking. You got a couple different pots on the stove. Get some eggs over here. Yeah, yeah. Back to eggs. So, so that is craft a really beer over here. Uh, an intense part of the festival. That remains intense when when you launch the thing and you get the artwork set and you reach out to marketing partners and you set advertising and you you get the ticket site going and then the thing launches and then you can kind of have this like first period of. Uh, okay. Yeah, right, right, yeah. right. I would so imagine. I breathe a little. The thing's on sale. Okay, we sold some tickets. We're good, you know. And then we can line up marketing for the rest of the year. But it's like not this intensity that you have around booking and launching. In the third year now, people have discovered us, and you know we can feel a little more excitement around the, the certainly the ticket sales and the sponsorship. And plus a September a September gig is that by choice? Weather. Why September? Weather. 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 Weather all the yeah. way. The first festival of the farm in 2016, we did in July. It was the only date we could did get at the farm. It didn't just rain. We had a microburst <laughs> arrive at 7.41 yeah. p.m. Not that I remember any of the specifics. Yeah, right. Exactly. And, no, you can't uh, do it in July. We had like two minutes of warning before we needed to We evacuated the site. We sent everybody on yeah. site into the parking garage or the oh, office God. building on site. Yeah. The show got canceled. You know, we yeah. had to end. Yeah. We, two bands didn't go on. Yeah. So Saturday I'm on the 15th, yeah. the headliner is Amos, Amos Lee. Lee. Yep. Trampled by Turtles. Trampled by Turtles. And what about Sunday? Dawes is Dawes. headlining. And Amy Martin Helm? Sexton. I mean, talk about two songwriters. Oh, Martin Sexton is a double headliner on Sunday? Well, he's back-to-back with Dawes. Yeah, with yeah. Dawes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Amy yeah. Helm, Ghost of Paul Revere, The Wild Reeds, Joseph, oh, yeah. Mandolin Orange, <laughs> Upstate Rubdown. But do you want Chuck to do a cover of that. all your favorite bands? I'm in. No, yeah, he I could do that. I I'm not that, that expensive. Be, um, yeah, I think maybe for the after show. We have an. Well, doing an you have an after show. show. No, yeah. we don't have an after it's show. It's at three a.m. Yeah, exactly, James. I'm very excited to go to Festival of the Farm. Can't wait to have you guys. Uh, I don't think about going to a festival that late in the year. Yeah, and so I'm excited about it, and I've never seen Dawes before, and uh, I'm excited to see some of our former guests. Uh, you know, Alan McGurk is awesome. Jesse D is amazing. Uh, Will Daly, I've, I've heard him before. We haven't yeah, had him on yet, but he's he's, a, he's, he's awesome too. He's gonna be great. Festivalatthefarm.com. Festivalatthefarm.com. Uh, James, uh, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks, oh, man. The pleasure is absolutely it was, mine. Uh, it's nice to meet you, and we're gonna go and have a beer after this at the 99. I'll take it. Off dismay, 
once again has reared its head and tried to take the day. It wants to swallow everything, go crawling up your spine, get itself in everywhere and take over your mind. But this is the song you can sing when it dies. While it's pissing and it's moaning and we're laughing and we're crying. Ronnie and I already feel more optimistic by just sitting with James for the hour we had together. Be sure to purchase your tickets to Festival at the Farm at festivalatthefarm.com, where you can also see the lineup, the list of vendors, and other information. Go to abovethebasement.com, where you can join us on Patreon, sign up for our newsletter, listen and subscribe to our podcast, like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, and look at all the nice pictures we post on Instagram. We are everywhere. On behalf of Ronnie and myself, thanks for listening. Tell your friends, and remember, Boston music, like its history, is unique. Music